לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. Shalom and welcome to another edition of Parsha Talk. I'm Rabbi Elliot Malamet in Highland Park, New Jersey at the Highland Park Conservative Temple Congregation on Shemit. And joining me, my good friends, Rabbi Jeremy Kalmanowski, the father of the Chatan. Mazel Tov to Jeremy, Rabbi Barry J. Chesler. We were at Rabbi Kalmanowski's son's wedding, marrying Ariel Balsam this past Sunday. Wait, viewers, viewers, we have a picture of the three of us here. On the Parsha Talk here, this is your your Parsha Talk bros, the men of Parsha Talk. We're going to have a calendar. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's what a great, what a great. The month of the mighty. I'll tell you something. We, 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 we had so much fun rejoicing with you. And wishing, wishing the Chatan and Kala such such a beautiful life together. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous moment. Lots of simcha to you, Damien, the family. Everybody was. It was just wonderful. And and uh, thank you for 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 having us there. We got to meet Jeremy. We tell you this. We got to meet your parents, who are big fans of Parsha Talk. They love Parsha Talk. And they told Hello, Bubby and Zadie, nice they, to nice to have you with us today. They told us about people in their community. There's a a Falgan Mashada named Ivan, who is a big yes, fan. Ivan, their their neighbor, their neighbor, and and sort of a cousin by by marriage. Uh, so, Ivan watches party talk all the time. So religiously, and and we're going to give him a big shout out. Thank you for watching us. We we're, we're we are so honored, and and. I, I had conversations with other people, including some rabbis, who say that they take our Parsha talk and use it, but they, uh, you know, attribute some of the Divrei Torah to, to what we say here, which is really, really the, that's the ultimate, the ultimate honor is to be quoted in someone else's sermon. You know, I've quoted you both of you guys in my sermons, so I've learned a lot from you. Well, I, well, I thank you guys for all the good wishes and um, and uh, thank you for celebrating. It was just, I got to say, here here we are on Wednesday. When was Sunday? Uh, Monday, <laughs> simply exhausted, couldn't move. But uh, still still 72 hours later, still feeling amazingly joyful. Haven't come down yet. That's um, great. By the way, Ivan, Ivan, our, our friend and and, uh, and listener, Ivan is an, he's retired. He's an older person, but he's an incredibly skilled professional cartoonist. Wow. And... We should ask him. Oh, he's watching. Perhaps for a logo. <laughs> a logo. The three of us in the screen. Okay. And so there are so many others who are watching, and we just, you know what? Thank you. Thank you for, for, for spending this time with us. This is an amazing Parsha, the double Parsha, Vayakel Pakude, ending up the book of Shemot. It's also a special Shabbat this week, Shabbat HaChodesh, precisely because we announced the month of Nisan, Next week, Nisan is coming on Thursday, 
uh, don't want to preempt the announcement, but that's what it is. It's on the calendar. Anybody could see it. And um, and that 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 means that we're already in Pesach mode. I'll tell you how I'm in Pesach mode. I brought up my special shelves and I uh, signed off on my uh, Passover. I'm late on the Passover guide, the schedule, and the you know all the all the things that you need to do. The sale of comments form that things we should have I should have finished weeks ago. But this is um, this is where we are. We're 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 really in. Pesach mode, but we're not going to think about Pesach right now. We want to think about the end of the Shemot, and and I want to put out this idea to to discuss, and that is that the end of this book has a has a certain air of exuberance to it, in the sense that the sanctuary is constructed and completed, and I read especially chapter forty. Um, it's almost like a song. It's it's, and I th- I actually think it was originally a, a song that encoded the memory of this structure, so that people would have it with them in their imagination, even if it wasn't with them in reality. So the question that is bothering me is, well, you know, last week we read about the greatest debacle in in the experience of Israel in the desert, namely the golden calf, and it was huge. It was a a, a convulsion, a rupture. It resulted in the breaking of the tablets. It resulted in a whole reset of the people and resulted also in, in, uh, I think, an act of violence that we don't pay attention to as much as we should, in which 3,000 people are killed by an act of zeal, uh, zealous violence of the Levites that are unleashed within the community. And, and, it seems after all of that, and the second set of commandments come down, and there is a certain reverence for Moses, and Moses, you know, people are afraid of him, and people are, you know, stand at their tents and rise out of their tents when he comes out of his place. There's there's a new sense um, in in the people, and now we read, you know, this exuberant chapter, and I'm going like, okay, so. Is there an echo of that somewhere? And and there's got to be. And and is there an echo of that in Judaism? And and I'm saying that with you know reading the Torah, but I'm also you know we're we're five thousand miles away from Israel now. There's you know I quoted the Buffalo Springfield song last week. There's something happening here. There's something something is going on. There's, there are tremendous forces. Within Israel, and I think within the Jewish people that are that are in a collision, and is that inevitable? And was the golden calf inevitable? And where are the well, one echoes? of the most famous? Yeah, one of the most famous midrashim, uh, a very powerful midrash in in Breshit Rabbah. Uh, it says that that it, because the Torah begins with you know, and God said, you know let there be light right and the light was um the the midrash turns that the light that the light there was something before it was something before the before before the before the before and and the 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 person who i think if i remember correctly is rabbi abah who mentioned as the darshan says what was god doing god was god was creating and destroying worlds before this world and then he gets to this one and says, Vihine Tov Mo'od. says, okay, I, I had 37 drafts 
And the 38th one or whatever it is, God is always going to be creating and destroying, creating, destroying. And the same dynamic is, is in Genesis too, because the Noah story is, is also a kind of create the world, destroy the world, create the world, destroy the world, create again, and continually try again. And, and I think that Judaism, by the time something we recognize as Judaism comes along, by you know, a post-biblical religion, the temple has been destroyed in, in, the, in the 6th century BCE. Then at the eve of what we would call the rabbinic period in, in the year 70, the temple's destroyed again. I think we have a really strong sense um, that the world is continually crashing and being rebuilt, crashing and being rebuilt, crashing and being rebuilt. And I would say that that is one of the strengths of Judaism, of the religion that we've inherited, is that it knows how to deal with defeat and knows how to give you the power to, to start again. So I would answer your question, Elliot, by saying, you know, uh, in, in the shadow of what's going on in Israel is very, very Real. disturbing and troubling right now. I, I would say that we, that anybody who, by the time any Jew read the Torah and understood that the Mishkan was prefiguring the Beit HaMikdash that Solomon would build, that is destroyed at the end of the Torah, of the biblical period in the 6th century BCE. Any Jew who has received this story knows, oh, we built this amazing place and the divine presence was there. It's going to get destroyed and you're going to have to bounce back. Yeah. And our powers to be able to bounce back uh, you know, we, we hope we have a, we hope we have it in us for another round. No, it's pretty so, scary. so here, you know, here's where where I kind of it's not that I push back. I would say we, we don't want to. Nobody wants to live through through that, and nobody, God, you know, God forbid, it should ever, ever ever get to that. And that's and that's the the point of danger that we're at. We 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 are approaching liminal moments where where things seem to be possibly you know damaged. Damage could be, you know, on a scale of, you know, a skirmish, and damage could be, you know, cataclysmic. Okay, God forbid it should be that way. But but we're we're existing in a moment of of real tremulousness, and and so you and I, we're we're all shaped by the tradition in which we know that great moments, great climactic moments happen, and they get crushed. And so we're primed to experience that, and as as difficult as it is to live through it, we we all know, and I think this is what you're saying. We all know that we're going to recover and it's going to be okay. And I I just don't want to live through it. That that's that's the problem. I just don't want to live through the. It's 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 just very very difficult. So I'm like, I mean, I, I you know, I'm wondering if the echo of this is in 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 this ending chapter that they're building. So the, Go ahead, Barry. I think we need to be cautious and clear that inevitability is a look back. Nothing is inevitable as it unfolds in terms of these kinds of processes. So we look back and say that the destruction of the temple was inevitable, but I don't know that people living through it saw it quite that way. Well, I asked you before yeah, we started whether or not the civil war in America was inevitable, right? Because it's so not- again, I think that was a backward look. That once the civil war erupts, we could see how it's hard to believe that it could have been avoided. 
But I don't know that the people who were living at that time actually thought it was inevitable. You know, you read stories, especially during the Civil War itself, the opening battles of the war, people would come and picnic on the grounds to watch the battle. I don't think they thought that something all that terrible was happening if you're having lunch while other people are being killed. But, you know, why don't we say, though, of course, this is correct. And and as history is unfolding, you can't be fatalistic about it. You have to say, oh, my goodness, we have to try to avert this disaster. But with especially like the Civil War is, a, is an interesting example, because I think that we can look at it with this retrospective look and say that there were certain fundamental tensions and instabilities that were not going to go on forever between slave and free, between agrarian south and and you know commercial north or whatever it was it, it, it wasn't inevitable if people had made different choices but the structural instabilities were so significant that it that it led in a very direct way and so you you might want to ask yourself now now i'm not going to talk about about israel per se but to say about the religious dimension you know the religious story of this of the book of exodus and and, and you know we are to this week concluding Exodus and heading into Leviticus. What is the whole sweep of Exodus? You had incredible once in a cosmos experiences of divine revelation. You had, you were led by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. God was incredibly present. God was at the mountain. The mountain was smoking. You had, you had experiences that were of intimacy and an intensity that are never to be replicated. By the way, when they go away, you're still a human being. You're still a mortal human being with all your flaws. And so I would say that the that the way this works for me on a spiritual level is, is that to be a religious person is to have both the feelings of, wow, you, you can have peak experiences. You can have moments that leave you feeling like, yes, I understand in a different way than I did before. I'm coming away with real insight, with real sanctity, with real holiness. And you're not going to be able to keep it up. You're going to fall in, into, you know, into normal, normal life. So I would say that is, is the golden calf inevitable? Well, maybe the golden calf is a poetic rendering of the reality that you can't live at Sinai forever. And sometimes you're going to go off the path. And so it's inevitable in the sense that it's, it's, it's perhaps a poetic figure for uh, human, human failure, which is all, which is, you're not going to, you're just not going to be able to, to keep the faith all the time. I think it's inevitable in a different way. I think that, you know, go back a few weeks ago and we started reading about the 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 building of the Mishkan. So putting out putting out that idea, putting a, a visual complex in front of people got that imagination into focus on the tangible. Once that happens, it's inevitable. And and I forgive me for for being to having, you know, uh, the being attuned to the tragic dimension of this, there, the, you know, I, I'm recalling with with you know a bit of humor, you know, when when Jacob meets Rachel at the well, okay, so he cries. It's such a beautiful moment, right? He cries. He's in love with her. And so, what do the rabbis say? Do you know what? They're, you remember the midrash? The midrash says, "What is he crying? He's crying about the temple." <laughs> <laughs> that's well, that's with Joseph and Benjamin also. And also, right, he's crying, he's crying, because he understands that he has a vision that she's going to die, okay? So here, the moment of this exuberance is the moment when, when he, you know, he, he gets an insight, a prophetic insight, according to the rabbis, that the woman that he loves 
is is going to die in childbirth. I mean, in in the most tragic way possible. Okay, so yeah, it's it's all over the Tanakh. It's all over you know the Torah. And I, and what I want to say, it's here too. It's here too. It's here in this exuberant chapter where every single you know refrain is Kashir Yet Moshe Kashir Yet Moshe seven times forty nine verbs. It's all perfect. The perfect Mishkan is there, and yet and yet there are three thousand families that lost you know husbands and fathers because of the skirmish that they're not celebrating so much. They're they're wounded. They're grieving in the moment that Israel is, you know, kind of celebrating this. And so we'll go to the, the punchline of the of the whole book. So at that moment, it's all complete. The, the cloud comes over the tent of meeting and God's presence fills the Mishkan. And then, and he can't get in there. He can't get in there because it's so full of God's smoke. So I want to say that that wow, that's a great moment. It's a moment of completion. And and but I also want to say it's a tragic moment. That's the tragedy. You can't be in there. You can't well you wait, because you, Moses, are coming, you're 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 not able to enter into that place because of your humanity at this point the place is soaked with god and you you're there's a vestige of that skirmish on you the violence is on you moses and sorry you stay outside right now that's my take so another way to look at it is that it's actually a moment of redemption because we have to imagine Moses not being able to get into the Ohel Moed. So what is he left to do? He must rejoin the people of whom he is the designated leader. Yes. And the re- the divine reassurance is that wherever you go, I will, God speaking now, I will be with you by day and by night to lead you. Okay. And I think that's a powerful ending to the book of Exodus. And, you know, ironically, when we begin Vayikra next week, it's rather a prosaic thing. All right, here are a bunch of animals you have to kill. Yeah, but I, I also think, though, that, you know, what could work well with what Elliot said, um, and, and it is interesting, I just want to add the the small halachic detail, which was never very relevant until modern times the state of Israel, uh, not, not today's crisis, but... Um, you know, it's because the Kohanim, when they give the blessing of the people, they raise their hands in the blessing of peace. There's a law that if you've ever murdered somebody or if you ever can't do it, homicide, you can't. You can't do it. You can't participate in the blessing of peace. So perhaps there is a way in which Moshe is is kept out of the uh, kept out of the the Mishkan because of that of that violent. Okay, so I mean, it, it, it works homiletically here. It didn't you know? He he got up to you know at the top of Mount Sinai. He'd already he had already killed an Egyptian, you know, when you know by the time he's up on Mount Sinai. But but this this is after the and he's and he's had his experience with God too, you know. So I'm not sure, you know, if all if if my dad well, you know, up here, but 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 yeah, I like well, you it. Know, <laughs> it's a it is interesting. I mean, Moses. And Aaron are a team. Moses is the prophet. Aaron is the priest. As it says in the Talmud, 
in fact, it's a hundred. Moshe is, is the is the prophet. He's Yikov Hadin et Hahar. The law should pierce the mountain. I don't care. And Aharon, the priest, is Ohev Shalom Verodev Shalom. He loves peace. He pursues peace. In, and he's willing to, he's the avatar, not of let the law pierce the mountain. He's the avatar of compromise. And he says, listen, we got, we got to get along here. We got to manage to work it out. So maybe Moshe is, you know, his his zealousness, his his Pinchasness, his Eliyahuness um, is is uh, is is a little bloody, and he can't come in right now. And Aaron is going to belong in the, in the tabernacle, not Moshe. On the other hand, let's just note one thing, which is that the first words of chapter of part of the book of Vayikra, which means "and he called," uh, that God called to Moshe and invites him into the tabernacle. I think that there is a very powerful. Uh, the content of Vayikra is prosaic, as as Barry said, but the the very first line is a bridge. Me ohel me ohel yes. He calls him from Ohel. So he's outside. He's still outside Ohel No, he calls, God calls, no, God calls Moshe. Uh, God calls Moshe. God calls to Moshe. God's in the Ohel Moed and says, come on in. Doesn't say that. Yeah, it doesn't exactly say. You guys, out, you guys always excuse, excuse me. I could, I, I could make it nicer, but you are right. It there you exactly go. Okay, okay. So, all right, hold that idea. So, so I, I, I want to make this leap here to the extra portion that we read for Hachodesh, chapter twelve of the book of Exodus, which is, you know, a very important passage, getting us ready for Pesach. Hachodesh um, azelachem. It reminds us that. You know, of the first Pesach, the first, the Korban Pesach that was happening in, in the home. Um, and I want to say, I want to you know, run this one by you, which is that the there's there's some brokenness even in, in that moment too. Look at the first verse. This is, will be your first of your months. Okay, we get a calendar. Lots we could say about that in terms of the civilizing nature of organizing time. Leave that. Dabru el bnei el kol adat Yisrael lemor. Speak to the entire congregation to say, on the tenth day, take for you ish se levet avot se Take everybody takes a sheep. Lots to say about that too in terms of the family. But then the next, im yimatabait But if you don't have enough people in your household to, uh, you know, for whom you can feed a, 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 an entire lamb, what do you do? You go to the next one. You go to your next one. Okay. Right, but Elliot, I, I think you're missing perhaps something fundamental here. Why is it that they have to match the lamb up with the families? Because nothing can be left over from this lamb. Okay. That the reason why the family of a few has to join with the larger family is to make sure that the, the complete lamb, not the broken lamb, is completely eaten. And in the further instruction, the Korban Pesach has exactly. to be without broken bones as well. Okay. So I think that your point in general works, but the details of the sacrifice, I think, emphasize the sense of completion that you have to at least recognize before you tell me, I'm I, I, I I get it. Okay, <laughs> before you tell me what, sorry, that I'm wrong. 
You're wrong. I don't think you're okay, wrong. Well, so we'll go through it and then we'll explain. I don't think you're wrong at all. I think I just think I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, what I want to say is, is that I want to, I want to live in that family for a moment that does that doesn't have enough people to eat a whole lamb. Okay, so who is that family and why do they exist and what's the story here? So I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell a story about the woman whose husband was crushed to death under, you know, bricks, and whose whose children are are scraggly children, and she doesn't. She has to join with another family because because there's nobody. Her family has been broken. Okay, and there are dozens of families like that. And look, we all live in communities, and we know. And this is why this is very painful because. Every single one of us knows of people who have broken lives like this and, and they have no one to join with. So I'm seeing a story in here in which the, the Korban Pesach, the way it is being unfolded to people as a, mo- as a great moment, a complete moment, a moment where you're going to eat, eat this completely is also a moment that recognizes a certain kind of brokenness that goes in the people because okay. it counts for those people that don't have anybody. Go ahead. All right. What I would like to do, suggest instead of brokenness that we talk about instability. Instability. Okay. That someone who has gone through loss is in an unstable situation. And the first Pesach alerts us to the fact that everyone is unstable because the verse that speaks to me is, um, I think, verse 8. Translate. It's Everyone who eats the Pesach. Oh, so you have to. Uh, this is how you should eat it with your loins girded, with. Um, sandals on your feet and the staff in your hand and you eat it in a rush because this is the Lord's Passover sacrifice. So that everyone is eating in the sense of anticipation that they're not going to be where they are right now for very long. That the world, they're leaving a world behind them. Right? This is the night or the morning of the Exodus depending on which biblical tradition you think is best, and everyone is united in this. The woman, you know, in your description, who has lost her husband under the pile of bricks, is as unstable as everyone else, because everyone is unmoored here. They're all in the process of moving. This is a little, we got a little Leonard Cohen here, and everybody's favorite line and anthem. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Yes. And so okay. you have that that sense of Pesach, this great covenantal celebration, and the very description of it connotes, you know, an attention to our our lonely, and you know, our lonely and scraggly, scraggly neighbors. You know, we have that. We have a. Uh, there's this like rabbinic trope or a little rabbinic move, um, you know, Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach Dorot. There's the difference between Passover as practiced in that first time in Egypt and and Passover in all the subsequent generations. And so we don't put 
you know, the blood on the doorposts of our own houses. We don't do all that stuff that Barry just said with the with the shoes on your feet and your staff on your hand. And and but I'm going to assume that the description of of the first Pesach Mitzrayim here in Exodus 12 must have been, in fact, the stage directions at different points in Jewish history, not just one time in Egypt. They probably indeed at different times celebrated this holiday uh, in the posture and even the costume and the the whole manner of people scurrying out of slavery, including you know this this bit about the sh the sandals and the staff and the and the the belt on or whatever it is, and maybe it at certain points even smeared the blood on their houses. Right, except except and and you know that I've I've we've had this debate before. I don't I don't think that they end up eating it and and um, they <laughs> because they they. Everything happens so you know in the in the very next chapter when it's Vaihibachatzialaila, you know, and, and the Makat Bechorod is happening, they, they have to leave immediately. And and while they, the text they doesn't smear the blood. They, they smeared they the blood, but they the but, but the, the lamb is still roasting. Okay. It's still it's still in the tandoor. It's still in the on and their homes, you know, we've talked about also the home became a kind of altar to them. The smearing of the blood is a consecration of of the home as an altar and and so what you have is is again along this theme of it, it was supposed to be a meal that everyone ate they ate the, the meat with the bread the unleavened bread and the bitter herbs but they ended up eating nothing nothing they had they ended up going out on, a, on an empty stomach and the whole event itself as dislocating as it already is, was even more dislocating, was even more, you know, broken, right? And what, what's amazing about it is that they managed to get through. I love that. That That's, you know, it's it's the moment that, that despite it not having gone to plan, it still happens. And maybe, you know, for me, that's a, it's, a, it's a kind of, it's a very emotional message, which says, Life doesn't always go along your plan A, you know, and and we do have the plan Bs, and and the Exodus is a plan B, and the Eagle is a plan B, and the Mishkan is a plan B here. And I want to see even you know about, go back to the end of Ayak Pakude. He goes in, and it's anticipating that I'm going to go in there, and no, you're not going to go in. That the plan B is you're going to stay outside. You know, I don't, should I give that sermon? <laughs> well, maybe some of the things are some of the things perhaps are are you know yes there are plan Bs and Cs in these things but maybe some of the things are also um, uh, just surprise like Moshe doesn't know everything we will see this in Parshat Shmini when Nadav and Avihu were killed and Moses is he doesn't know what to do and he he gives some inappropriate orders and Aaron says to him, you know, what he says, and we can, we'll see that in a couple of weeks. So the, the openness to surprise and the thing, the, the, the expectation that I know exactly how this is going to go, that's why you have, that, that's, that is a, a delusion that's false. And that's why you have plan B, C's and D's. But I want to just note at the end of chapter 39, there's just a really lovely passage. They bring, they bring the tabernacle to Moshe Okay. Verse 33, 30, for 39-33, they bring the tabernacle to Moshe, and then it, it begins to enumerate all the stuff that happens, you know, the 
the furnishings and the, the tent and the furnishings, the class, the planks, the boat, the, the sockets, the posts, the skins, the, the ark, the poles, all the table, the utensils, the menorah, everything in there. And just as the Lord commanded Moses, so the Israelites did all the work. And then the last verse in that chapter, 43. Nice. Uh, and God, and no, God, Mo Moses saw all the work. And they did it just as God had said. And Moses blessed them. Now that blessing is, is part of the... I don't know. I don't know. You you used the word exuberance before. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know that exuberance is exactly the right word for this moment. There is a stately affirmation. Moses gives them a great big gigantic yes, and the the, the rabbinic comment is that the blessing he says, "May it be May it be God's will that the that the divine presence will will rest upon your hands, um, rest upon the work of your hands." Jeremy, and, you make it sound more British than Middle Eastern. No, <laughs> well. I am thinking maybe it's a little British. It's, so, it's British or Yiddish. It's Yiddish and British. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna. So you're saying Moses is kind of giving a shechiana there, okay? And I want to just amplify. There's joy, beautiful joy, and then I as every time, every time we stand up with with our congregants and say a shechiano, and they've reached a, a important milestone. There's a little crack in the voice. There's a tear also, and and. There's, I'm, there's some sadness here. The I, I cannot help but think that that there's something because it's so charged. This moment, it's just not all pure joy. You guys, we were at a oh. wedding. You guys were bawling your eyes out at this wedding. There was no there. People were 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 crying. It's not because it was so sad, but it was because it was there. We were just so happy. Right? Well, it's, it's well, it's bitter. It is bittersweet. I mean, um, it, obviously, it was overwhelming joy, and and the Kalmanowski family are. We are definitely weepers. We were all we were all weeping like nobody's business. But you made it everyone's business. It is. It is also <laughs> true that. I mean, when you <laughs> there's an oof gozal quality to these things too. Sure, fly away, little bird. When your when your child, you, your first child, goes and gets married and has his own wife and his own family and his own home, you also recognize that you know there's enormous, immense, life affirming joy. This is what you want, and other phases of your life, the door is closing on, and you're, you're going to miss them. Right, and I think you have to take it a step further because what makes the Shechayonu so powerful and life and these uh, life cycle events is that they're always multi-generational. And the older generation always has a sense of wistfulness, not only because the door is closing, but the one that's opening is the door of death, mm -hmm. that you get closer. And I think that, again, not to make too much of a point of this, that the brokenness that you're suggesting is rooted in uncertainty. Yeah. That what really makes us anxious is that we're not sure what actually is going to happen, including our own death, right? We know we're going to die, but we don't know when or where or how exactly. And that can be bothersome. And so one of the things we look to religion for is to anchor us in this world, to give us some stability, to give us some tools to counter the precarious nature of life itself. 
so that we can actually experience joy. Otherwise, it would just be despair. You know, and, so, and we we didn't we did not um, in our conversation today before we started recording. You know, we we sort of wondered whether or not we were going to get more specific about the crisis, the quote unquote constitutional crisis in Israel. It's quote unquote because there is no formal constitution. Um, the the crisis over a you know I'll I'll go out on a limb and say dangerous dangerous fascistic racist um, trends within within the government. We didn't really get to that, and that's fine. But one of the things that is uncertain about this is that we are all, I think the three of us, and I think Jews worldwide, and and the hundreds of thousands of people who are protesting in Israel, um, and the hundreds of thousands of people who oppose those who are protesting in Israel, we do feel like we're at a very momentous, you know, crossroads, and we really don't know what's going to happen. Um, and and it does feel like we are uh, there's some like seismic tremors um, going on right now, and so that feeling of we've built a mishkan, you know, what was Benjamin Franklin said? You, you know, you a republic you, if you can keep it. If you can keep it, yeah. <laughs> I quoted him. My classes. Well, uh, I, I I'm usually the one that 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 brings people down here, but I'm gonna. I want to. <laughs> well, Suzanne brings you down. No, I want to. I want to end on a higher note. Oh, which, now we're getting all that. Oh, I want to end on a higher note. That the, the the the. the 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 building is ready. The Mishkan is ready. The cloud fills it up. I'll, I'll I'll go with the positive here that God is delighting to be there, and that the journey is going to begin. And I think what makes me personally wistful about reaching the end of uh, this book Shmot is that look how look look how far we've gone. Look look where look where we are, and and chazak chazak chazek, brethren. You know, we 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 give each other strength by by studying together and by sharing these thoughts as as difficult and painful as they can be sometimes and and worrisome. Uh, you know, we we do this with the the prayer that um, that there there will be a restored sanity within Israel. That this these forces that that uh, are on track for a collision will 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 hold on we'll get a grip and we'll find what unites the society more and that the voices of um, of conciliation uh will will uh, penetrate uh within the society that that definitely is is our hope and that's certainly uh the thing that we are praying for we join with the Jews throughout the world praying for for all of that and um and enjoying the um the, the, this milestone in the in the journey of Torah for this year. What can we say? We've we're come to the end Shabbat of our Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. We thank our, our viewers and listeners. Always great to have you. We look forward to seeing you again. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.
שלוש אפים.